0: Get out and I'm to get up and bump to get out and I'm to get up and bump to get up to get up
1: to get Good afternoon, folks, and welcome back once again to another edition of the Come Out of Her, My People show. I'm your host, Mark Collin, and we're going to do a special flashback edition of the show today to one that I did just almost exactly a year ago. And referencing Revelation 18.4 and the come out of her part so that we can hopefully avoid the plagues. Yeah, I said back then, and it's still true today, the plagues are obvious. And as for the sins, if they weren't obvious before, they are now, now that Big Brother officially wants to kill kids age 5 to 11. And they've kept dropping that number ever since. And more and more people are waking up to the fact that, no, the poison poke really is... Uh, appropriately named Zyklon B. If you uh, weren't reasonably educated in the public cesspools, you know that Zyklon B was the name of the chemical that was used to dispatch so many people during the Third Reich. Now we're in the Fourth Reich, and it's only appropriate that since they intend to kill hundreds of millions rather than just a few tens of millions this time around, uh, the Zyklon B moniker, I suggest, is still uh, very apropos, and the more you learn about it, and we'll talk about a little bit of that today, uh, the more it's obvious what it is we want to come out of and be separate from on so many fronts. Now, this week, of course, leading up to uh, one of the, uh, the major times and seasons in the uh, pagan holiday, and uh, I'll just say it this way, I, I've suggested in times past, years past, that the time to let people know that the real Mashiach, the real Messiah, no, his mother never really called him Jesus. That didn't even exist for 16 centuries. Uh, his, uh, the name that was given by the Malach, the angel, the messenger, was to call him uh, Yahushua because Yah is the salvation. He is the salvation of Yah. So the name actually meant something back when it was given, and it was uh, not changed until centuries and centuries later, but still. The time to let people know that that real Messiah, even if they don't really know his real name, wasn't born in the dead of winter or on a pagan fake holy day is during the time of the year when he really was born, I will suggest, which was uh, almost certainly uh, during the fall of the year, during the time of the uh, one of the three feasts of Ascension, the time of Sukkot or uh, Feast of Tabernacles as it was known. And uh, don't try in other words to talk people out of something right while they're in the middle of a um, the heat of deception. What I'm saying is that uh, essentially, you know, save your breath and uh, Avoid the division, because probably it's not going to do anything. Now, if people are are actually curious and they genuinely do want to know, it's always important that we be ready in, season, and out to give them an answer for the hope that's within us, for the truth uh, that we know, and it's important we be able to do that from Scripture. But, again, uh, as a general rule, when somebody says Merry Christmas in a grocery store line, that's not the time to say, oh, you know, uh, he wasn't born this time of year or or whatever, just because, for the most part, they're not looking for an answer. Uh, They just want an assent to um, the fact that, oh, yeah, at least there are a few people out there that still seem to know what the season is about. And that's the irony, of course, is that they really don't know what the season is about, but they know at least as much as those people who hate everything that the God of the Bible stands for. So it's one of those heads I win, tails you lose things. And that's why I suggest the time to explain to people is not during the heat of deception, but uh, when they're more likely to listen. And uh, again, if they ask, that's great. Um, And if they do ask, I'll do this briefly. uh, I've done this so many times that I I don't particularly want to spend much time on it. But it's a great introduction for where I do want to go today anyway. If you turn to, among other places, uh, Luke, of course. Everybody's heard this, the Charlie Brown peanut special and so forth. But they usually don't start early enough. Because in verse 5 of the first chapter of Luke, talks about a fellow named Zacharias. He was a priest, a cohen. And he was of the division of Abiyah. His wife was named Elizabeth in the English uh, transliteration. And what's interesting about this story is if you understand and go through the book, and you can look in the book of Chronicles and see when the various uh, courses of the priests, they were, they were divided by family. And when were the priests of Abiyah likely to be uh, in the temple doing their regular service? And we're told in the book here that uh, they were both righteous. They walked in accord with Torah. They walked before Yah. They were blameless and so forth. That sounds like a pretty good recommendation. And uh, then later on, just a few verses later, we're told that Elizabeth had a cousin. And um, the um, Mary, Mary, uh, the uh, the mother of um, Yahushua, uh, is, uh, is told essentially that the Holy Spirit is going to come upon you, the Ruach, and um, your, your Elizabeth, your relative, has conceived a son in her old age. Now is the sixth month for her. Okay, so the point is, if we can figure out and look through Scripture and realize that this time of the conception of uh, the, the young baby that is going to be John the Baptist, Johannan the Baptist, was during the time of the spring feasts, And uh, there's a six-month difference between her and uh, Mary. Then we know that Yeshua was born about six months later. That puts his birth during the time of the fall feast. Again, during the time of Sukkot. That makes perfect sense because that would have been the time that uh, the men of the the land were going to go up to Jerusalem anyway. And it would have been a great time if you're a um, a tax-grubbing emperor who wants to get as many folks as possible. You know they're all going to be there. When better to do it? And it also is a good indicator that when all the men were coming to uh, to that one city, why there might not be any room at the inn and so forth. So the point here is, uh, not that I, I want to spend a lot of time going through all the details, but I do encourage folks at least to be able to have enough of a familiarity with the real story that you can say, okay, look, uh, shepherds weren't out watching over their flocks by night and the dead of winter. He wasn't born in the dead of winter. The only people who were born in the dead of winter were the fake gods. Pick a name, uh, Sol Invictus, Mithras. Uh, typically, all of these fake pagan gods always born on December the 25th, right after the winter solstice. And there's more and more. The more you study about it, the more you realize that the, uh, the pagans were the ones that put this in place. And um, those that are essentially buying into it are well, dealing with the fact that uh, most of what they have is, is rooted in, in paganism. I always kind of marvel. People say, oh, you know, there's more suicides during this time of the year, more depression, more kinds of things going wrong. People, families, lots of stress, lots of pressure. You know the reason? Because Yah isn't in the celebration that has nothing to do with the actual birth of the Mashiach. And indeed, there are other things we're supposed to celebrate, like his appointed times. So, with all of that on the table, I want to ask some different questions today that ultimately kind of sort of circle back to this issue. Because um, if you understand what's going on in the other elements of the world, and you look and see, okay, we have... um, Tensions in Ukraine, tensions with Russia. China obviously wants to take over Taiwan. They're looking for an opportune time. They, uh, they certainly have their man in the, uh, in the White House, their CCP plant, their big guy who uh, they managed to shove in there. I want to start off by just asking a couple questions and I think you'll see all of this begins to fit together. Uh, Is there a better time than right about this season, especially this week, between uh, Xmas, the the so-called mass associated with, uh, well, any number of pagan gods, and uh, New Year's, that's just basically the Roman New Year, not anything to do really with a, uh, a scriptural basis at all. Is there a better time, though, for Biden's uh, the Biden Fuhrer, the marionette-in-chief, and uh, the CCP masters that are pulling his strings. Uh, those people that are destroying the U.S. military by uh, literally turning it into a woke bunch of transgender-worshipping uh, uh, ninnies who can't fight a war but can at least pretend to be pregnant and have... Flight suits for pregnant women because, hey, who wants to fight a battle anyway? We have more important things to indoctrinate our uh, little servicemen about. Oh, yeah, and that's if they survive the poison poke that we've now injected them with. I can't help but think, folks. Uh, look at what's going on in Washington and, and ask yourself. And I've got an article that I did earlier in the week anyway. Um, Is the U.S. military even capable of defending the country anymore? More and more Americans are waking up and realizing, no, it's been dumbed down. It's been completely gutted from within. And now with the poison poke and any number of young servicemen likely to succumb from immune problems, autoimmune diseases, heart attacks, strokes, you name it. If I was the Communist Chinese Party, I'd be uh, not only salivating but preparing my next move. So let me just outline a couple more things. War is here. War is here. Now, does that mean that World War III is is literally here yet, or will we see the provocations over the next days or weeks? Certainly that's a very uh, great possibility. But the war on the truth has been going on for a long time. You haven't been able to hear about ivermectin or hydroxychloroquine, other things that would have completely obviated the need for a, uh, a vaccine, even if it worked much less one that has no function other than to be the real poison poke, the, uh, the real bioweapon that's now being deployed. Uh, the death of logic, the war on logic, has uh, certainly taken its toll. There's been a war on real science. We don't need data and evidence anymore. Uh, we just have pronouncements from I am science, the great high priest himself, Fauci, and um, other people that proclaim themselves to be the arbiters of truth, How many times have we seen stories about not just people getting axed from two Facebook and Twitter and all these places, doctors losing their medical licenses for even suggesting that destroying your immune system in response to a disease that doesn't actually do that much harm to 99-plus percent of the population is kind of stupid. And there's a war on the word of Yah himself as well. All of these things go together. So let me say it again. If you're the Communist Chinese Party and you got your plant in the White House and everything is going pretty good, and you look and you say, okay, we ostensibly have uh, some uh, some friendly relations with Russia, but on the other hand, if we were the sole superpower and didn't have to worry about Russia, that would be good. So uh, now that we've got our man in the White House, how can we make that happen? Well, how about if we get the United States to fight with Russia? And while all that's going on and um, our man is trying to essentially uh, deal with that, we'll go take Taiwan. We'll do what we want to do anyway. And uh, maybe we'll get Australia while we're at it. Mean, there's, there's, there's a whole lot of tension in the world. Lots of things people aren't being told about, folks. But the, uh, the single overriding fact that I can't help but think people need to be aware of is, can you literally think of a better time for communist China to pull the plug on what's going on than right about now? And furthermore, We have an economic meltdown. That's also in progress. We have the uh, booga, booga, booga flu, uh, you know, the Omicron. That's a really scary Greek letter. The Omicron variant coming out, it doesn't actually hurt anybody. Nobody really dies from it. Turns out those that get it are actually better off than those that take the poison poke because after you recover from Omicron, which is pretty much a lead pipe cinch, it's the tickly throat variant, really, then you're going to have Lifetime natural immunity that beats the hell out of taking the poison poke every few months and more often uh, in accord with big brother's whims, oh, and having your immune system destroyed in the progress in the process. The only thing is that um, if you're among the unvaxxed, you know you're going to take the blame for everything that follows. And I've said this before. Uh, it's funny to me how these people that are oh so tolerant and they're oh so concerned with slavery, well, except for when they want to enslave people to their poison poke and their vax mandates and their complete economic control, well, they will, uh, they'll get really upset at uh, people who even remember that there was once a, a word, starts with N, that you're not allowed to say anymore. And I'm not going to use it, but I am going to suggest that um, as opposed to the time when people had to ride on the back of the bus, if they were of the wrong color, now you don't get to be on the bus. You won't be allowed to buy or sell. They're working up to all of these things. In other words, folks, what they intend to do, and we're getting there, is treat the new N-word, the unvaxxed, far worse, as bad as it was, than even those who were, you know, the great-grandkids of the slaves 50 years ago, 70 years ago. Blame the unvaxxed It's just part of this war. And uh, No, it's not just a culture war. It is, in fact, a moral war, and it is becoming a physical war, not just in terms of China and Russia and a potential EMP attack or nuclear exchange or bioweapons attack, but a, um, a bioweapon self-immolation that is already in progress. Now, I'll ask one more question. I, I led with this uh, this idea that uh, so many people are saying, oh, um, uh, did they take Christ out of Christmas? Well, remember, he was never actually in Christmas because he was not born at this time of the year, and that didn't even turn out to be a thing for centuries and centuries later when they had to basically make it up and take this pagan feast and force-fit it, shoehorn it somehow or other into things that could replace all of those, uh, well, nasty feasts, they call them Jewish feasts, they weren't, they were the feasts of yod heh vav he said it over and over, you can read the book, these are my feasts, keep them throughout your generations and all your dwelling places. Well, they didn't. The pagan Roman universal church declared that anybody who kept the actual feasts that God said were his feasts must be Judaizers and therefore deserving of all kinds of nasty stuff and they tormented, tortured, persecuted, and even executed many, many people in what was known as the Inquisition during the Middle Ages, to the point where people literally went to great lengths to say, See, I'm not Jewish. Watch me eat this pig here. Mm Mmm, Easter ham. Love it. No, I don't keep his Sabbath. I keep Sun God Day. To the point where so many so-called Christians don't even know why they've rejected things that the Bible says to keep, do throughout your generations in all your dwelling places forever, and replace them with fake Pagan holy days that, yeah, sure as hell ain't holy, that God himself says he hates in no uncertain terms. Let me ask the question, okay, given what I've just tried to lay out, is there a better time that you can think of? Not only because, uh, obviously, the use-by date for the Biden Fuhrer has probably passed. How long are they going to be able to keep this puppet in office until people decide, oh, it's, it's pretty obvious we can't even hide the fact that he's senile anymore? He's an embarrassment uh, China's got to realize, well, we better, we better use it while we've still got it. There's that. And, uh, again, I started to say this. Let me, let me finish the thought. Can you think of a better time to do this if you recognize that, um, guess what? Those who believe that God would never allow the United States to be taken out during the Christmas season may very well be gravely mistaken. In other words, folks, a lot of people are probably saying, oh, well, you know, they wouldn't dare attack. God would protect us during this wonderful time of his season, Christmas, but it's not his. And therein lies the rub. If he, in fact, has not declared this to be his appointed time, it's not a time when anything actually really happened and uh, should be celebrated. Well, just maybe people don't have nearly the protection that they think they do. And, again, all of it fits together. What am I suggesting here? I'm suggesting this is the time to pay attention, to be watchful. Obviously, always come out of her, be separate, be prepared. We'll talk about some of the other ways to do that here after the bottom of the hour break. But I want to mention this, because ultimately, uh, whether or not we see some really nasty stuff come down during the next week or two weeks, uh, we might not see a market meltdown. That will probably happen a little bit later because the markets, for the most part, are pretty well closed at this point. But could we see an EMP attack? Could we see a a Russian tsunami bomb attack on um, primarily the East Coast, but uh, both the coasts are vulnerable on that uh, score? Could we see attacks by uh, hypersonic weapons on various military installations, even on the United States mainland? All of those things are possible. So if we don't see an EMP attack or bombs or nukes on the horizon or an outright invasion from the Communist Chinese troops that a lot of Uh, reasonable sources have said have already been poised on the northern border thanks to the communist up there named Trudeau and on the southern border thanks to, uh, well, open borders and a complete invasion from the south anyway. If we don't see a power grid failure, what's happening in Europe? We've got natural gas issues and uh, lots of people literally freezing over there. Well, then winter is still coming, to use that phrase from a uh, popular TV show a couple of years back. Uh, Not only is winter here in the real sense, winter is here in a spiritual sense on so many uh, different fronts as well. Uh, Certainly we have the debt implosion. That's been out there for years. It's been compounding and accelerating, and the idiots in Congress are simply pulling the chain and saying, come on, we double-dogged area. Take us down. We have a currency collapse that has been inevitable, but how? whenever it comes, it's getting closer by the day. We certainly have a continuing supply chain failure, and if we had any doubts that it was real, you need look no further than the Biden fewer saying, oh, supply chain failure? No, no, the shelves are just full. Why, look at all those cardboard cutouts there of uh, products that we used to have that are now, if they're not sitting on ships offshore from Long Beach, uh, they're in Chinese factories, and maybe they'll make them for us later if we're good little slaves. The supply chain failure, folks, on multiple fronts is really real. And as I've suggested for a long time, and basically any economics class will reveal, a lot of these things take time to ripple through the system. We saw it, for example, uh, months ago with new cars. If you don't have the silicon foundries, if they all come from Taiwan, which the Chinese have an obvious reason for wanting, and they're not delivering them and they can't get here anyway, and then you can't produce cars for for the want of a chip, then what? Well, it turns out there are a whole lot of other things that we're seeing that are also similarly being broken down. Manufacturing of, um, first it was lumber and various kinds of materials, thanks to the futures market. Uh, Not just chips, but uh, things that, uh, tractor parts, you name it. And these things all ripple through the system. And guess what? When tractors aren't available and farmers then can't harvest their crops and prices for used tractors go up and people say, well, I got these crops rotten in the field. I got to do something. The ripple effects are dynamic. They're really interesting and they can be hard to calculate. But the one thing we know is they take a while for these various tremors and earthquakes to percolate through the system. We're seeing that now. We're still seeing that. Uh, Where does it end up? Well, that's the part where it gets really easy. Ultimately, when the supply chain breaks down and people can't get parts, and there are a million possible ways and types of industries and supply chains and supply lines and various kinds of manufacturers that are going to see the ripple down uh, effects and knockoff effects. Ultimately, the result are several things, all predictable, all associated with the debt collapse, like inflation, then hyperinflation. We're already seeing the uh, the ripple effects of that in first uh, places like Venezuela. Uh, Now we're seeing that in Turkey, it would seem, and some other places. And ultimately, of course, famine. And the famine will, in fact, spread to the United States too. Scripture tells us this, but so does Economics 101 as these effects ripple through. So again, uh, as we go to the break, I'm going to try to summarize where we started off today uh, with this idea that, oh yeah, uh, this is a season of something. It turns out it's not a biblical holy day, it's not a scriptural holy day, although there's been a lot of attempt to force feed it into that, to, to force it one way or another and make people think that these pagan things are somehow in association with him. Now, am I critical of all those people who've been lied to? Jeremiah said it. We've inherited lies from our fathers. I do think it's important to realize that to whom much is given, much is expected. Once we realize the lie, now we're responsible for taking action about it. Okay? For those that say, oh, I, I never knew that a Christmas tree was a pagan thing. I don't really care. All right, fine. But once people begin to wake up to it and realize this is not pleasing to the Father, then we have a responsibility to do something about it. Oh, yeah. And, of course, remember, even if people are ignorant... Well, my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge is still true. There are a lot of people that are going to end up dead because they didn't know that taking the poison poke would destroy their immune system. They didn't know that this was not a time when they could expect Yah's protection. Why? Because he's warned them in a hundred different ways, in a hundred different verses, via any number of different prophets, and via warnings that have been, well, repeated throughout history people that have been exiled, people that have gone into various forms of slavery before for doing exactly the same kind of things that are happening now. So you put all of that together and you say, okay, well, that's, uh, that's where we are. At a season where we, we know that there are a whole lot of nasty, ugly things on the horizon. The war is here. Has it gone hot and nuclear yet? No. Could it? Absolutely. But it certainly has gone hot to the extent that there are probably tens of millions of dead men walking. People who have taken the poison poke, though they don't want to hear that, but guess what? Doesn't matter whether they believe it or not. When their heart fails, when their immune system fails, when an opportunistic infection, when autoimmune diseases take them out, well then they'll not, what will they do? They'll get angry and they'll blame what? The unvaccinated, and that's not going to necessarily solve anything. It'll just mean there are less people around to point fingers at those who aren't coming down with the same diseases that they have been uh, signing up for and taking the booster pokes to make sure they get. Again, on every front, things are coming to a head. It's a time and a season to be especially aware, for all the reasons that I've been outlining, of what's here and what's coming. But uh, what I want to do when we come back is talk about some other, um, well, let's call it advanced weaponry, that those who know better, that those who do have eyes to see, need to be aware of. So that uh, just maybe, if there are some uh, friends and relatives who have not yet taken the poison poke, they have not yet completely destroyed their immune systems. Hey, maybe they took the poison poke and uh, were uh, blessed enough, protected enough to have gotten the placebo shot. A whole lot of people thought they were taking one or two doses, and they probably, maybe if they were blessed and lucky, I don't like the word lucky, but you get the idea, maybe they got a uh, a little bit of saline instead. Maybe their immune system isn't quite as destroyed as um, by rights it ought to be. Well, that's a good thing means there's still time. It means there's time for them to wake up and to get right and say, okay, I won't kill myself anymore. I, I got away with spinning the revolver chamber, and um, I want to put another bullet in the chamber and spin it again and point it at my head. I'll quit while I'm thankfully not destroyed yet. And then what? Well, that's the place where we need to say, okay, we have some, uh, we have some things we need to be aware of, some things we need to be blowing the shofar about, being the watchman on the wall about, and preparing for as, uh, as you know, uh, one of the ideas of preparation in both a, sp- a spiritual sense and a physical sense is to be able to help those who uh, haven't figured it out yet, hopefully, prayerfully, will figure it out in time to avoid the destruction, the uh, physical destruction of their bodies and then all the other destruction that follows after that. So we've got a lot of things we need to be aware of and so many things that we need to be um, concerned about and understanding how to come out of. So, when we get back, we'll talk first about some of the great big stinking whopping lies and why knowing about them and doing something about them is more important now than ever. We'll be right back. are back folks this is the come out of her my people show i'm your host mark call and today we're talking about a number of things that are associated with well the times that we find ourselves in and i'm not referring to the so-called holiday season because honestly these days aren't particularly holy to anybody except pagans and um, while a lot of folks will will I'm, I'm sure they'll get very angry at that. Uh, nevertheless, if you go and understand what Scripture says, uh, so does yod Vavhe. vav So does the Creator. He gets very angry at people saying, hey, we're going to worship you, whether you like it or not, the way we want. And uh, he says, "No, uh, uh, well, if you look at history, you'll find out that doesn't work. Okay, let's just leave it at that. But I do suggest people need to understand, therefore, that during these times there is a huge risk on any number of fronts, economic, physical, uh, not just spiritual, certainly in terms of um, the poison poke and the things that are being done to kill hundreds of millions of people. Unlike anything, and you've got to admit this is true, the evidence is now overwhelming, unlike anything we've ever, ever seen before. So with that in mind, I want to throw just a couple of other things out on the table. This this takes the form of ammunition that those who uh, really do understand why it is that you don't want to be a guinea pig for a uh, an injection that is intended to destroy your immune system. Uh, oh, oh, aren't you pushing disinformation, misinformation, Mark? No. The lie is that they actually have anything in mind for you except trying to kill you. Oh, yeah. And your major little dog, your kids, too. So uh, here is a story from uh, Martin Armstrong. makes a, a couple of good summary points that I just want to throw out because uh, they kind of reveal other things that we've been lied to uh, very succinctly. Masks for one, right? Uh, the, um, the face diaper, the um, rebreather petri dish. Well, the World Health Organization, WHO, has previously admitted that there is no evidence whatsoever available to indicate that masks do anything positive. They're not an effective method, uh, method of protecting healthy individuals. In addition to hypoxia and hypercapnia, in other words, uh, a lack of oxygen in your bloodstream and an increase in carbon dioxide because you're rebreathing your own exhaust gases, breathing through face mask residues uh, rec- uh, produce bacterial and germ components on the inner and outside layer of the face mask. These toxic components are repeatedly breathed back into the body, causing self contamination. Now, that's a quote. From who? You're not going to hear that, folks, from the lying waste stream media that tells you, oh, wear your masks, you good little slave, because if you're stupid enough to do that, we know you're already primed to take the poison poke. We're not going to tell you the truth about that either. Furthermore, says the uh, story here from Armstrong, there's actually evidence that face masks cause toxic particles to build up within the mask. Gee, it's easy. Just culture the crap that's inside there in a Petri dish, uh, as if the mask wasn't enough of a Petri dish by itself. Rebreathing contaminated air with high bacterial and toxic particle concentrations along with low O2 and high CO2 levels continuously challenge the body and its homeostasis, causing self-toxicity and immunosuppression. Now, think about that. You get people to wear these damnably idiotic masks. A, it shows you who those are that are drinking the Kool-Aid, but B... It challenges the homeostasis of their bodies, causing self-toxicity and immunosuppression. Well, guess what? Bang, bang, the one-two punch. Now we'll inject you with a poison poke that also causes immunosuppression and really hits you when you're down. Is it any wonder that booga, 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 the Omicron variant and other variations on the theme that have been engendered, literally bred in the massive numbers of people taking this poison poke, are spreading through the human population like crap through a goose, to paraphrase General George S. Patton? Conclusion, again, this is the last uh, I'll read from this Martin Armstrong piece. There's no evidence that masks are effective in any way against the transmission of COVID-19. However, there is much evidence that wearing masks is toxic. All right, here's another uh, quick story. This is actually from Associated Press and a piece from lewrockwell.com. Um, is it time to burn the anti-vax doctors at the stake? This seems to be the thing that Associated Press is pushing. Uh, these are the purveyors of misinformation and disinformation. How dare these doctors say, don't inject your pregnant wife with uh, something that will kill the baby? With a very high degree of probability, as a matter of fact. <sighs> Turns out, now this is why the, uh, the numbers here are interesting. Uh, the infection rate... And the uh, age groups, if you look at these tables or charts showing rate of infection in various age groups and um, how many of them are going to suffer if they were to catch the dreaded booga-booga flu, turns out that anybody, 99.9% of all Americans younger than the age of 69, that's most Americans, certainly (laughs) all of them that are younger than the age of, uh, well, Social Security and below, developed immunity on their own. They don't need to be vaccinated, even if the vaccination worked, and it doesn't, even if it didn't destroy your immune system. Natural immunity, in other words, the kind you get from having had a disease because you're fearfully and wonderfully made, and once you've had it, your body knows what to look for, so you don't get it anymore. Natural immunity is far safer and trumps vaccination. Now, guess what? Here's the part they don't tell you. This is a great line. Um, The idea of vaccination requires a functioning immune system. Remember when vaccines actually meant what they uh, used to mean? In other words, you take a little of the hair of the dog, you, uh, you kill a, um, a deadly virus or a, uh, something that you want to get the body to respond to, uh, you weaken it somehow, then you inject a little bit of it in there, the body sees it and develops antibodies to it and says, oh, when I see that again, I'll take it out. Well, this doesn't work that way. That's why this thing is not a vaccine. But the point is, if it destroys your immune system in the process, Well, nothing works, including a real vaccine. And that's the point. And it's ironic that these so-called doctors, and I use that term with derision and scorn, that are telling us that natural immunity is no good are lying idiots because if they had any actual medical understanding, they'd know the whole point of a vaccine was supposed to be to trigger your natural immune system into responding. That's how it worked. Well, that's how it's supposed to work. No, what the new ones do is they change your, uh, via mRNA, they change your DNA to produce the spike protein in mass, turning you into a little human bioreactor. Back to the chart here. According to the chart, says the author, almost 3 in 1,000 children were infected. And um, there's a bunch of zeros, .000027, or 27, no, I'm sorry, let's get the decimal point right, it matters. 2.7 out of 10,000 died from the booga booga flu. Now, most of those, as it turns out, the vast majority even there had comorbidities. They were suffering from leukemia or childhood diabetes or any other number of opportunistic infections. And it was the one-two punch that got them. They died, in other words, not from COVID-19, but with COVID-19. But still, even with those numbers, 9,997 kids, and by that they mean age 0 to 19, had to be vaccinated if it worked, in order to save even one life. That's theoretically. Because they just wouldn't have died otherwise anyway. <sighs> That's less than, well, it's a tiny, tiny, tiny percentage. Now, guess what? The chance of anyone benefiting from COVID-19 RNA vaccinations is thus nil. Why? Because you didn't have anything to worry about to begin with. If the serious side effect rate from the vaccines is higher than five zeros, point. Which it is. That represents avoidable harm. In other words, folks, let me say this as clearly as I can. People are far, 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 far more likely to die of something or have serious side effects from something associated with the poison poke than they ever would have from saying, I'll take my chances with the booga booga flu. Nobody is dying of vaccine deficiency, and the few who do develop life-threatening infectious diseases could be treated with things that, oh, Big Brother doesn't want you to know about because they want you to be afraid, be very afraid, like hydroxychloroquine, ivermectin, vitamin D, a whole bunch of other far better choices. Now, the problem is if they had allowed people to know about those things, like uh, honest countries did with their citizenry, there would have been no excuse for an emergency use authorization to begin with. That's why they lied and suppressed those and made darn sure that anybody that tried to tell people about it lost their medical license or were banned from two Facebook and Twitter and basically just were put into a living hell on earth by big brother. And uh, the vaccine effectiveness is misleading. That's obvious. They don't tell you about the fact that you might take the poison poke and not die of COVID, but hey, how about a heart attack? How about you uh, have a stroke on the highway, cross the center line, or take out a whole bunch of people, vaxxed or not, in the other lane? Uh, there's a chart that appears in this article, too, of all deaths associated with all. That means every single vaccine available uh, for the last um, 30 years. And if you look at the chart, it looks kind of like a single spike. In other words, from the year 1990 through 1999 through 2010 through 2019, basically very, very, very few people died from vaccines. Turns out there were more people dead in the first 90 days from the poison poke. They didn't tell you about that. They don't want you to know about that. They were trying to hide that till 2075 or so than ever died from all other vaccines combined. Matter of fact, you remember the infamous swine flu. They took that off the market when 50 people died. Well, hell, they killed that many in just the first month with a new poison poke and had to hide it. Lie about the figures. This is not just evil. As I've said in recent shows here, this is satanic level of evil. But I'll say this again. Without an intact immune system, if you destroy the immune system, even if the vaccines did work, and even if they were really vaccines, then they wouldn't work. As the author here says, it's natural immunity that's been making vaccines look good for a long, long time. So, where is the mandate to ensure a functional immune system with the use of supplemental trace minerals that your body needs? Like, for example, zinc, which the body requires in order to make T-cells. Selenium, which releases zinc so your body can make those T-cells. Vitamin D which is, is required to make neutrophils and macrophages, vitamin C, which makes natural killer cells, and your other things like white blood cells that your immune system needs. There is sufficient science, and I use that word in the actual true sense, to recommend that these natural me- remedies, uh, that uh, anti-vax organizations, anti-vax organizations, huh? yeah, isn't that a funny term, um, We just assume you didn't know about, all right. Uh, the author here goes on to describe this other really nasty, evil organization that is supposedly fighting misinformation. What they really want to do is make sure you die of things that you're not going to know what hit you. For example, this organization called De Beaumont said, quote, All three COVID-19 RNA vaccines have been proven to be, say it with me, folks, repeat the mantra, safe and effective, based on extensive clinical trials, well, trials that didn't include all the things that they skipped, like animal testing. You remember the old joke, it's a meme, uh, where the two rats are talking, lab rats, and one of them says, hey, did you get the COVID-19 injection yet? The other said, no, no, they haven't finished the human trials yet. Well, these are the so-called uh, clinical trials. Uh, back to the story here. Here's the, here's the bottom line. Why would anybody in their right mind even consider being injected with an experimental, um, well, 40 trillion or so RNA particles that cause your body to make the spike protein? when that is how coronaviruses, in fact, enter living cells. Why would anyone want all the cells in your body wide open to ACE receptor site to a notoriously mortal virus? It's a good question. And furthermore, if you love your kids, why would you allow them to be injected with something that might kill them in order to allegedly but not really protect them from something that ain't going to harm them at all? You'll probably never even know they had it. Matter of fact, they may have even had it already, and you didn't know it. But now you'll destroy their immune system. When they get it next time, it might just kill them. Here's a quick one from Brandon Smith at Alt Market U.S. Uh, Why do people not trust the science? Answer, because they've been lied to so often by scientists who are whores to Big Pharma and Big Brother. Many scientists have been caught lying, misrepresenting their data to force fit the conclusions that they're supposed to get rather than the actual facts at hand. Science has been publicized, politicized, and literally whored out to serve an agenda. This is not conspiracy theory. Uh, this is proven fact. And literally, folks, the amount of facts that make that up are the kind of things you're never going to hear in the criminally negligent networks. But if you'll do just a little research, you'll find any number of doctors that have been shunned and banned who have been trying to, uh, well, blow the shofar on this one for a long time. One last quick story on the, um, the vaccine issue specifically. Uh, this is from Larry Johnson via... Um, I think this was LewRockwell.com, but he says, uh, why it is that the stupidity of the Provax crowd is unbelievable. And uh, I'm going to say this up front. I- I'm tired of doing all the stories about dead celebrities and dead athletes uh, that have um, uh, you know, died after taking their required mandated uh, – Two poison pokes plus the booster. Let's kill the immune system off completely injection. As well as a whole bunch of Zyklon B pandering fully poked politicos and overpaid big pharma whores. Right. Saturday Night Live. Evidently Saturday Night Live didn't do the Saturday Night Live show recently here. Executive producer Lauren Michaels, that's been doing it for the better part of uh, half a century, uh, had been reportedly trying to hold on, make the show happen, uh, but... An insider at SNL told the, uh, the Post that um, everyone is fearful here. There's the key line. Everyone is fearful here. We've all taken the poison poke, and we're scared. We're scared to death. The show is now in its 47th season. They announced last Saturday that they would not do a live audience for this week's taping as coronavirus cases have spiked and set records in the People's Republic of highly vaxxed New York City and beyond. In spite of, no, because of the Zyklon B poke. Um, okay, the government, um, due to the recent spike in the Omicron variant and out of an abundance of caution. And besides, we're scared out of her well, very few wits. There's no live audience. The show continues to follow all government safety guidelines. Yeah, there you go. Talk about a damning indictment, says Johnson, of the ineffectiveness of the Zyklon B poke, the so-called vaccine and boosters. Every member of the cast and crew were vaccinated. If the vaccine even remotely worked, they would have had nothing to fear. After all, a vaccine is supposed to make you immune. Well, if it didn't destroy your immune system. And yet these NBC morons, consumed by fear, immersed in ignorance, did everything short of running from the NBC studios, screaming in terror. I'll read this line from Dr. Mike Yeadon, one of the good guys. Uh, He wrote a cogent explanation of exactly what's going on here. These are the kind of things I encourage people to know. Be able to explain to your relatives who are basically saying, oh, I've got the revolver in my hand. I'm going to put another bullet and spin the chamber. Take that booster shot. Don't do it. And, you know, once you're dead, it's a little bit too late for me to say I told you so. Here's Dr. Yeadon. Calling the COVID-19 injections a vaccine is public manipulation and misrepresentation of clinical treatment. It's not a vaccination. Well, we all know that. It's not prohibiting infection. It's not a transmission prohibiting device. It's a means by which your body is conscripted to make the toxin itself that then allegedly your body somehow gets used to dealing with. But unlike a vaccine, which is intended to trigger the immune response, this is to trigger the creation of the toxin mRNA uses the cell's machinery to synthesize proteins that are supposed to resemble the spike protein of the booga-booga virus, which is what it uses to enter cells via the ACE2 receptor. These proteins are then identified by the immune system, which builds antibodies against them, well, while it works anyway. The real concern is that these proteins can, and as it turns out we now know, they do accumulate in the body especially in regions of high concentrations of h 2 receptors, such as the reproductive organs, isn't that convenient, uh, the lungs, and other places. If the immune system then attacks the location where they accumulate, then you could be dealing with an autoimmune condition. Think uh, all kinds of paralysis and uh, similar things. Now, and that doesn't even include, folks, the, uh, the chemical effects of a uh, two-dimensional carbon graphene-based compound that tends to slice up the interior linings of blood vessels and capillaries and stuff. And guess what? Uh, results in clots and other things that are difficult to determine in an autopsy because uh, most toxicologists...
2: Merry Christmas. This is Christmas Day. I'm your host for today's program, the Olive Tree and Lampstand Ministry radio program, Rick Rodriguez. I'm always your host. I uh, hope everyone is planning for a wonderful day with your families. And today, later in the day, I'll get together, we'll have dinner with my family, and we're going to just enjoy this the rest of this weekend. I uh, didn't plan to come in today, we were going to do a uh, rebroadcast, but, well, you know, we are people who follow and flow by the Holy Spirit. It's not by might, not by power but by my spirit, saith the Lord. And Christ will build his kingdom by his spirit. All things are done through the Holy Spirit. I'm going to present Christ to you today in a, in a different way, but I'm going to present him to you in the way that he desires to be presented to his people, uh, I will maybe throw a curveball at many of you. Uh, we believe that Christ was born on Christmas Day, on the 25th of December, 24th, 25th. But actually, in reality, and uh, in reality, he was conceived on this day. He was not born on the 25th of December. He was conceived. He was actually born in late September, early October. That was when his birth took place. And through the through the centuries, there have been, you know, the Christmas story, especially in the last couple of hundred years. But really... He was conceived on Christmas Day. He was conceived right about this time of the year, the 24th, 25th of December. Again, uh, this is maybe a thought that you're not familiar with. I didn't really have time to uh, consider. I have considered what I'm going to present to you today, but I didn't have the time to actually get the exact verses, lay them out. Uh, the Magi, the uh, royalty that came to visit Christ, they didn't come to visit him on the, in the beginning of the coldest part of the year. The royalty that came from the East, they came not in the heat of the summer, not in the cold of the winter. They came in a time in a pleasant season. It was a pleasant season. It wasn't too hot. It wasn't too cold. They were able to travel. They had about a one-month period to come into uh, the area of Israel, of Bethlehem. And then they had time to depart and get back to their their, uh, homelands before the cold winter set in. And uh, they came. The royalty came. The Magi, these kings of the East, uh, we would call them, the very wealthy, uh, religious uh, people of the East. They were, in their thinking, they came to worship Messiah. They knew the stories in their areas in the in the the uh, thoughts in the area where Daniel lived in Babylon Daniel during his lifetime he stored up gifts for Messiah he clearly saw who Messiah would be where Messiah would come from and he had gifts that he had uh, before he but before he died he made arrangements that, when Messiah would come, he already had a gift that was to be taken through these individuals, the Magi, to bring that, those gifts to Christ. I'd heard this story years ago, I've thought about it over the years, and then I've heard others talk about it also. We, for the most part, many don't, don't realize that Daniel, with these Magi, with these, this royalty Gifts from Daniel came to Messiah. He saw and he knew when the time of Messiah's birth he knew would come, and again he prepared for it. These individuals, they didn't just come, it wasn't just a vacation, it was planned. They looked for it, they watched the stars, they watched the seasons, they knew the season in which Messiah would be born, they knew the location, according to the Daniel's writings in uh, the book of Psalms, the other prophets, they knew where he would be located, Bethlehem, Bethlehem, just a little city, an insignificant city. But this, the Messiah, this is where he would be born. They knew these prophecies. And when the time came, they knew from the, the uh, way in which God had presented through the prophets. They knew what to look for. They knew the sign. They knew the stars. They knew everything. And then they came. Now, on the 25th of December, right about now, Christ was conceived. Uh, he did not exist. Messiah was not yet introduced to the world. He was introduced at conception. We study, we, we think, we in the evangelical churches, conception is a very important. A part of life it is the beginning of life this is why we realize and recognize that life begins at conception not at birth at conception this Christ was now conceived he was now introduced into the world that he created at conception he's now in the world he is now conceived the prophecies have begun. Later, when at his birth, he would be introduced into the world physically. From within the protective uh, womb of his mother, into the world at birth, he was introduced. Initially at conception, he was not even he did not even exist. He was still a. Uh, The prophecies of him were still prophecies, but at conception now the prophecies begin. At birth, now more prophecies are now in play. He's a child, more prophecies about him. As a young man at twelve years or a young boy at twelve years of age, already he is being introduced to the world of that time. In that society, he is his parents, who he is, is being revealed to them. They know, Mary, his mother, knows, but they don't understand the progression of what his life would be. Then he's introduced at the time of John the Baptist, on the day that John baptizes him, he's introduced in another way. Not only now as the Son of God, Son of Man, but now He begins His ministry. To begin that ministry, He's introduced with a voice from heaven after He comes out of the waters of baptism. He's introduced in another, another way, and you might say in another dimension. Now He is proclaimed by His Father This is my son in whom I am well pleased. He is introduced again. And this time, the introduction is not just to individuals, man, flesh. Now he's introduced to the principalities and powers in the heavens. All through time, Messiah is being introduced to mankind. He's introduced in the prophecy that uh, of of Jacob's twelve children. It would be through Joseph that Messiah would come. It would be through David, through his lineage. He's being introduced, Messiah is being introduced from the time of the prophets, before the prophets, from the very beginning. But each time, there is a sequence of introduction. He's introduced through the prophets: one prophet, Isaiah; another prophet, Ezekiel; another prophet, uh, Jeremiah; another prophet, Daniel. All the prophets, in their, they are used by God to introduce the plan of God to the children of Israel. And in that plan of God, Messiah. Never ever is Christ uh, excluded from the move with the children of Israel. He's always included. And He's included with Moses. Uh, He's included with uh, Zechariah. Each prophet in his unique way introduces messiah to the future uh, to through the people of the present he would they would introduce their messiah to them oh let's say at the time of jeremiah he would be presented to them but it would be a future prophecy that would take place that had to, that would that would have to uh be fulfilled. Now, I say this, I'm, I'm wanting to present that there's always an introduction to Christ through the centuries. Always an introduction. There are we, Christ Himself, He presents himself before he dies in the book of Matthew. He presents himself coming at the end a second time. He is with the disciples presently, but he says this will be the sign of the the end. And at the end, I will come again. I'm here with you presently, but I'm going to leave but I'm presenting to you the end when I, will rev- when I will reveal myself to the world again when I come. Then he, at John the Apostle, late in his life, Christ visits him again in the vision on the island of Patmos. And there, Christ again reveals to John through this vision that I am going to once again introduce myself to the world at the end. And here's how I'm going to introduce myself to the world. And the very first thing he shows John in Revelation chapter 1 is he shows John who he is in all of his majesty. His white hair, his breastplate, his feet... He's presenting to John, once again, he's introducing himself to John in a completely different way, in a completely different manner. And he's introducing, in chapter 1 of Revelation, he's, re, he's presenting himself to John as the master of ceremonies, as the individual who is in charge, who is observing, who's involved with man, with man apart from God, the Gentile world. He's presenting himself as the individual who will eventually in the book of Revelation reveal himself to the children of Israel who don't know him, will never meet him, will weep for him at the end. And he's presenting himself to the individuals who are born again, to his church, to his body, to his born-again family. This is the very first thing he does in the book of Revelation. He introduces himself to the world at the end. what he would be like at the end, and what he's going to do for the next 1900 years. He is going to be the one who oversees this great invisible kingdom. This is what he does. He is going to introduce himself, and he has introduced himself. (coughs) Excuse me. We believers today are celebrating His conception. I, I won't get into this doctrinally with you because I will be doctrinally correct, uh, factually correct. Uh, within the body of Christ, this thought of today being the day of conception of Messiah is not, not, is not important. Uh, No one wants to change tradition. No one wants to change anything. But we as believers in the Scripture, as you go through the Scripture, the prophets are introducing Messiah in a unique way, each one individually. Daniel was introducing Messiah in a very, very unique way that pertains to the end of the world. That is that uh, he has to present Messiah as the Son of Man who is coming in seasons. In, 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 it, it's like he's outside the palace, then he's on the palace grounds, then he's close to the entrance to the palace itself, then he is inside the palace, And then he takes his position as the king of the kingdom. Daniel presents seasons to the children of Israel. Daniel's writings were to the children of Israel, not to the church in a sense, but to the children of Israel because it would be through the way in which Daniel presents the Christ that he knew to the children of Israel with the religious background that they would have to have at the end of the world. He introduces him as the abomination of desolation and uses uh, Antiochus Epiphanes as the example. They can understand that. But they knew that it would not be Antiochus. It would be someone further into the future. It would be a little horn. A little, a little horn, a powerful goat uh, from a small, young nation. Daniel presents Messiah in a unique way. Um, I'm trying to. I wished I had had time to actually look at each prophet and the unique way in which the prophets would introduce messiah to the world isaiah would introduce the time of messiah to the children of israel in the book uh, in his book isaiah chapter 28 and the way that he would present messiah to the children of israel is he would firstly explain to the children of Israel their apostasy, the great apostasy. So apostate that they would actually divorce their God, the God who saves them, who brought them into existence. They would actually marry and make an agreement, a contract with Antichrist, and God would have to come to annul that marriage. And and, uh, Isaiah presents to the children of Israel, you're so far from God, you're so far from God your creator, that you will actually look to the, the prince of the underworld for help. You will put your trust in the king of Sheol. You will look to this individual to protect you from him. From him. You're going to ask this king of the underworld to not destroy you. But I'm going to disannul that agreement. I'm going to reveal myself to you through the punishments that I will have to bring to you for being unfaithful. At the end of the world, Christ is going to reveal Himself to His family of born-again believers in exactly the same way. He will reveal Himself in having, in His... um, as he chastises his children because of their unfaithfulness, because they have also wed themselves to the world. They have put their trust in the world. They have put their trust in man. They have asked that man would uh, be their savior. Savior. So in the book of Revelation firstly he introduces himself in his splendor, in his glory with all of his honor. He is the one that is giving John the vision. He is explaining to John this is who I am and John I have a family of seven churches and I am going to meet these seven churches in a unique way. I will present myself, not the same, not in the same... uh, I will introduce myself in different ways to each of these seven churches. But they are my seven churches. Because they're my seven churches, I will... Reveal to them the plan I have for each of them. They each have personalities that are different. They each have periods of time where they are going to be very influential. But they will all exist at the end of the world. Because my family will always exist until the day of resurrection. The first resurrection. When I bring my family, all of these family members, all seven churches... And the faithful in those churches to myself. So he is presenting himself to John in a unique way. And the Lord is presenting himself to us presently in this world right now in a unique way. He is all of the prophecies about the end of the world the time in which we live all of these prophecies are being fulfilled right now I introduce week-to-week concepts thoughts uh, uh, a view Um, I like to use the scripture and present oh, I don't know, a a thought, a concept. For example, we in the family of Christ today, internationally, all the children in the seven churches of God, we are closing out, we are ending this time of what is termed The church age there will come a day when the Catholic Church will be will no longer exist the Greek churches will no longer exist Lutheran churches will come to an end there will be a time when all religions all true Christian religions will cease to exist The Evangelical Churches of America will cease to exist, whether it be Pentecostal, Charismatic, uh, Messianic, uh, Fundamental, doesn't matter. They will cease to exist. Because the church age in which we, in the family of Christ, are to be here, we will be caught up to Christ. We will be taken out of the world the concept of the uh, rapture, this matter of the rapture, this tells it all right there. Whether you be a pre-trib, a mid-trib, a post-trib believer, or a multi-rapture multi, multi uh, uh, rapture theory, theorist, it doesn't matter. There will be a time in that concept that all Christians will be raised to Christ and when that happens when that occurs the church age will cease to exist it will not exist any longer in first Corinthians chapter 1032 the Apostle Paul says that give no offense in your eating or drinking eat give no offense to the the jew the gentile or the church of god you have three corporate entities the jew the gentile the church of god you have the children by natural birth the jewish the hebrew people the gentile people who are not Hebrew. Then you have the Church of God, which is composed of both Hebrew and Gentile. But eventually, the third group, the Church of God, Jew and Gentile, Hebrew and Gentile, is going to be resurrected out of the world. At the resurrection The churches of God will no longer be in the world. They are their time and their purpose, and the eternal plan of God with them has ended. There will only be in the world Hebrew and Gentile. There'll be no Christian. There'll be no born again believers. Once again, prior to the night of resurrection, when Christ breathed into the disciples His Spirit, that night you had the third corporate group. That very night you had, in the world, you had Jew, Hebrew, you had Gentile, and now you have the Church of God. Those individuals that were in that room that night, when Christ breathed His Holy Spirit on them, that was the initial group. Of born-again believers and then that group would just begin to expand but very shortly Christ is revealing himself to the world today that the time when the churches of God are going to be removed from this world that time is very very near and after the churches are gone after the body of Christ the members in the body of Christ, the family has been raised from the dead or raised to eternity, raised to their new form, to their new body. When we have been taken out of this world, all that will be left now as far as the corporate peoples will be Hebrew and Gentile. We're near that time. I present that we are in the Time of birth pains in Matthew chapter 24 uh, up to, I think it's 3 to verse 8. We're in the time of birth pains, in the time of sorrows. We're in the time of the initial hardships of labor. And the heart, the, the, the uh, birth, the world is going to give birth to something that Daniel talks about called tribulation. And Daniel really doesn't talk about the first half of the tribulation because his prophecies are to the children of Israel, his prophecies are about the last half of the tribulation, when the abomination, abomination of desolation has taken his seat and has, has uh, <clears throat> polluted the sanctuary in Israel. Daniel doesn't say so much about the first half. He says more about the, the great tribulation, and what happens after the great tribulation into the period of the wrath of God upon mankind. Christ talks about the first half of the tribulation in Matthew 24 verse 9 up to about I think verse 18. There will be tribulation. Then Christ says, then there will be great tribulation. And then Christ says, when you see the abomination of desolation, there he's speaking Jewish language once again and when you see therefore see the abomination of desolation stand in the holy place now he's speaking to to the Jewish mind but before that he is speaking to his body of believers in verse 3 to about verse 8 he's I'm sorry from verse 9 to verse 18 he's talking about the tribulation the first half of tribulation Christ is presenting, introducing himself once again to the world. With each prophet, it was a unique introduction. David introduced him in a very unique way, Christ, Messiah, in a very unique way. Uh, Moses introduced Christ in a unique way also. Um, In... Deuteronomy 32 he introduces Christ to the Jewish people and remember Moses is always speaking to the Jewish people he doesn't really speak directly to the believer the body of believers after Messiah's death he's speaking to the Jewish believers through time as the rock he continues to introduce their God as the rock, the flinty rock. Uh, And that's how he continues to present God to them. And Christ, to the disciples, he presented himself to them as the coming king, the one who would be the king of Israel, the king that would bring in and rule for Israel in the millennial kingdom. John spoke to the readers in the book of John, introducing Christ as life, Christ himself as God, in, in John chapter 1. Unto, uh, uh, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, the Word was God, the same was in the beginning with God. Christ is God. He presents Christ as life, he presents Messiah as eternal life. He presents uh, Christ as the uh, comforter, as counselor. Each writer pre- uh, presents Christ in a unique way. The whole, all of the scripture, the Torah, the Tanakh, the New Testament, all present Christ in a completely different way same Christ presented in a different manner in the New Testament we believers Christ was handled the Messiah the uh, Savior of Israel was handled in a a more of a mental mental uh, way in a mental capacity with Daniel, all of the prophets of Israel that wrote the first books. But we, believers, we present Christ in a much different way, a unique way, a more powerful way. We have, a, we have been given a unique experience Of Christ not just mentally, but in experience. Why? Because Christ lives in us. We have the Holy Spirit inside of us. Daniel did not. John the Baptist didn't. But we individuals, we believers, have Christ within. The Messiah is within. And from within, this Holy Spirit that we've received is growing, and as he grows, he changes. We we change, we change in our personality. Same personality, but we're not uh, we're not uh, so much natural uh, in what we are when we come to Christ. We're natural in everything we do. We're fallen. We are handicapped we are dysfunctional and as Christ works in us he he heals us of all that uh, the flesh he heals us from what we were in our nature fallen God haters he changes us to eventually become individuals who glorify him bring honor to him so we as uh, individuals, we have a much greater, much greater understanding of who God is and an experience of Christ that is just I, I, I'm trying to ha- have a way to actually uh, express it. Christ in us, the hope of glory. So Christ introduces himself to John as the master of ceremonies. Everything that is happening presently, we have an opportunity to be part of a great end of the world experience. But we have to make, we have to decide to be part of that. Uh, I know that in my Christian walk, in my Christian life, I've met some of the, I think, the finest Christian believers. They've been given to the Lord. I, I don't even like to use that word given, it's just too religious. They have, they have uh, spent their time learning the ways of God. Spent their time knowing who the Holy Spirit is. Spent their time praying and asking the Lord to reveal to them their place, their, their purpose with Christ, what they are to do. And now, uh, it's critical that if we are, like I, I, I uh, believe, if we are in that time prior to the first half of the seven years of tribulation,
0: <clears throat>
2: this would be the time to begin to uh, to strengthen yourself spiritually, to get in shape that's the best way I can put it to get in shape spiritually. and David, King David, Uh, in the way in which he knew Christ, he knew Christ in all of his troubles. He's one man that was a man of troubles. And he saw what was coming in the battles that he knew he was going to have to fight. And he didn't look forward to it. But God had given him an ability or a uh, makeup. He knew that these battles were necessary. He knew that he would have to fight them. And he knew that the only way he was going to win these battles was through the name of the Lord. And in the name of the Lord, I will destroy all my enemies. David knew that. And we believers, we can't go into the future in our own strength. We can't go into the future in just what we are naturally. We are going to need the Holy Spirit. We need the Holy Spirit above all things because He's the one that's going to uh, be with us in these coming battles. We all will have battles individually. We'll have battles as a family. Uh, We'll have battles together with a group of people that God puts us with. Battles against uh, the children of the world that hate God. Against those that uh, serve the devil, that are in the occult. We have battles against the principalities and powers that are invisible, that are always attacking us, trying to deceive us, trying to discourage us. Demons, uh, just the forces of the demonic world. So you have fallen angels, then you have the demons, then you have mankind. Christ likens them in Matthew chapter seven to every man. You know, uh, we uh, he likens the wise and the foolish to a wise man who builds. On a foundation that is uh, solid. Because the winds, the rains, and the floods are going to come against everything in our lives. And so the person that digs deep and builds upon that foundation, the winds, the rains, and the floods won't affect it. But the foolish man builds on the sand. And when the winds, the rains, and the floods come, they will not stand the test we are going to need David King David prayed for God's help in all things I know that in my prayer life uh, my the the great insight that I have in prayer comes through the Psalms because King David would not only pray to be delivered out of his distress to be delivered from the hands of the enemy and those that would tear his soul apart. But then he would also, he learned that the greatest tool, the greatest uh, weapon against what's coming at you is praise. To praise. And he he would just start with Lord this and Lord that, and then he would end up saying, but God, the Lord was with me, the Lord was my shield, the Lord was my buckler, the Lord was my rock, and he would praise, and he would get the victories. There is a verse, and I'm trying to remember where it was, that where God said, have I not chosen praise to destroy the destroyer? I had it I have it my notes different different translations but basically have i not ordained praise to destroy the destroyer and i know that beginning to worship the lord in your distress worship the lord in your hardship thank him that he is with you thank you that he is he cannot leave you thank you lord thank you that he will get the victories As you praise Him and you thank Him, the victories will come. The peace will come upon your mind. The joy and the strength will return. You may still be in the distress, but you won't be in it alone. You'll be in that distress with Christ with you. So, King David, and as we go into this time that we're going into we we can't avoid it we cannot avoid what's coming we can't there are seasons in life there are are times when these seasons come we have to go through them we have just winter entered into winter it's a season we must go through it's a season when it's going to be cold dreary dank uh Days are still short, not enough light, but we have to go through it. And with seasons in life, I uh, was talking to my wife about, I remember with just in life, when you're a child, it's just a season that you're in. When you're about three, four, five years old, you start to move out of that season of being really, really just basically... A young child you start to move into a season where you begin to get a little bit better grasp of life you start school into about third fourth grade then the season begins to change again you're just entering the years prior to puberty and you know you got a, a, a much a grasp on life that is much greater than before I don't have the utterance. I do have the utterance and I'm going to just present it this way. Then you get into me, middle school. The world changes. You're in a completely different season. Now all of a sudden girls pay attention to guys. Guys pay attention to girls. Uh, everybody, Everything is awkward. Then you get into high school. You've gone into another season and it's a much different season. You're much more mature. You're uh, able to function in the world in a better perspective but then you graduate you're in a new season now you're either going to go to continue your education or you're going to go into the world find a job and all of these seasons then in your productive years really productive years 25 to 55 to 60 productive years in many different ways. And that season is just like a the opening of a flower. You get to see all the petals. You get to see the... It's just a wonderful time in life. Not saying that uh, after 55 or 60, it's not a wonderful time in life. It's just that you enter into another season. I'm, you know, in the season of my life right now where I am the most productive. Maybe not in the sense of being in the workforce, but productive in the sense... Where this is where we believers, we eventually end up in a season with Christ where we are the most productive because we have treasures old and new. We have all the experiences of the Christian life treasures old. They're treasures. It doesn't say, non-important treasures of life no just treasures old they're old but they're treasures i draw so much from my experiences from when i was just a young man in the lord and then during the heart of my my life treasures we have all these treasures But we don't think they are significant. We don't think they are important. We think they are the past. They are, you know, we just let them sit, collect dust. No. Then you have treasures new. This is the way it is with God. You will never, ever stop collecting treasures. The treasures are eternal. Treasures, experiences with God. God. Even if they may be times of suffering, they're treasures. We have to see things through the eyes of Christ. Treasures old and new. And here, where I am in life presently, uh, I see things and understand things that I didn't understand before. The reason being is Christ is the one who at the perfect time will bring revelation to each of us. Uh, if he just started dispensing revelation for the sake of dispensing revelation, it would be like getting rather than a pack of, uh, uh your favorite candy to say, uh, Uh, Walnetto's or M&M's. You can get a three ounce or you can get a three pound. Well, if you get a three pound, well, they're not so valuable. They're just common. So God dispenses vision, revelation. He's very... He guards revelation. It's very... Valuable to Him. It's precious. So He doesn't just flood you with too much revelation because you'll forget it. He doesn't want that. He'll bring revelation to you as you need it. But He will bring it. Every individual, every person that's a, that is born again, He'll bring you revelation as you need it. To protect you, to encourage you, to give you uh, insight into the direction you're to go in the present or in the future, but He will direct it as He desires. I, I mean, he, he dispenses it as He desires. Revelation is important. Very important. Without Revelation, uh, you won't be able to make the appointments that God has for you to make. Uh, Let's say you're young, a marriage. Uh, Through revelation, you make decisions as you see the plan of God unfold. I hate to use the word marriage because marriage, oh, it's you know we can we can make mistakes. And many have made mistakes picking the wrong individual to, to be their spouse um, in your in the call that God has for you. I know a, a young man I work with a, a pastor down in Denver. there was a young man, his grandfather was a pastor, <clears throat> his father was a pastor. he assumed he would be a pastor and everybody thought that he would be a pastor. But when I came, my wife and I began to work with the pastor in Denver. Uh, he introduced this young man to us, said, This is Pastor Dave. And I immediately, from that very introduction, I thought, Hmm, Pastor Dave, I'm not so sure about this. And I, the more I spent time with, uh, the fellowship, and with this young man, the more I realized, hmm, I don't think so. And I eventually even told the, by revelation, all this comes by revelation. It's important to have a gift of discernment, which brings revelation. Well, eventually I told the brother, I said, no, he's not supposed to be here. I said, he's he's not called to be a pastor. Oh, yeah, yeah, he's been with me for three years. Yeah, he's, he's a pastor. I said, no, I don't think so. I said, he doesn't respect you, and he keeps eyeballing your, your position, and uh, his motives are not, they're, they're motives, but not godly motives. Well, eventually, this brother had a dream, the pastor had a dream one night, and in that dream, it was revealed to him that this individual didn't respect him, that the individual had an eye on his pulpit, and that very day, the pastor called his brother and asked him to come to dinner, told him about the dream. And that shattered that lie that that young man believed. He realized that he was not a pastor. Things come by revelation. Revelation is very important. From very From today... Christmas Day into the future. What is it that you need to see about how you are going to go forward into the future? What is it that is important that you feel is important and what is important that God feels is, impo- is important about your future? You, we, the family of God, the decisions and the, the uh, we are going to have to transition the decisions that we make from today into the future are I say important and critical how do we invest I know I caught your inten- attention how do we invest what do we invest in? What? What uh, is the future? What? It's just uh, the decisions that have to be made. I can I can only use my own my own uh, my life. The decisions I'm having to make is I have family members on both sides of the family, we're up in years. And I realized that there's a time to be born, there's a time to die. And just having to think about the future and what's going to happen with the elderly, then there's this matter of when people catch get sick there's always that fear that is this is this covid is this going to be something that is going to end their lives it's too complicated it can only be the holy spirit each of us we're going to have to transition into the future if i'm right and i do say by my study of the scriptures i cannot disprove what I feel. I've tried to talk myself out of the fact that the tribulation is just up the road a year or two. I am trying to find ways to get around that reality. I can't. I can't get around it. The tribulation, the first half of the tribulation is coming. The children of Israel right now presently they are very psychologically ready to go to war and they as a nation are tired of having enemies they want to end all of the the wars, the skirmishes, the conflicts, the hatred of the nations toward them as people. One of the signs of the end of the world would be the hatred of the Jewish people. And in this country, it is hidden to some degree. The anti-Semitism in this country is real. The anti-Semitism in the churches of God, the churches, within the assemblies of the seven churches, the anti-Semitism is real. The dislike or the hatred of the Jewish people. I travel through churches. I travel through the Christian community. I see this anti-Semitism. I see the dislike of some of the churches toward the Old Testament, toward the feast days of Israel, toward anything Jewish. Well, the fact is, the end, the timeline of the end is going to all be in sync with Jewish thought. The uh, tribulation to come is going to be, we're going to be on the Prophets' timetable. One month is 30 days. One year is 360 days. The day begins at sun, sunset. It ends at sunset. It doesn't begin at midnight and end at midnight. The prophets in the world today are going to have to use this time time clock. The, the calendar that was given to the children of Israel through Moses. I believe it was Moses, yes. But, all the prophets of the end of the world, we will watch when the day day begins, Israel time. Not Boston time, or New York time, not Kansas City time, not San Francisco time. No. No. When the 70th week begins, on that day it begins, we check our calendars and our days and our weeks and our months and our years according to the day that an agreement is signed in Israel with the coming Antichrist and the king of Israel, the prime minister, whoever that may be. I kind of wonder if it's going to be Benjamin Netanyahu. When that agreement is signed by an American president and the Prime Minister of Israel, that day begins the first day of the 70th week. The last seven years. And all prophets will sink internationally on that day, Israel time. That's how specific the Scripture is. It is Detailed. We're moving to that time. That agreement exists already. It just has to be signed. We're moving to that time. This is why I say that it's only going to be through the power of the Holy Spirit. It's going to be through the counsel of the Holy Spirit that you're going to make your plans. It's through the and and there's going to be a great, great opposition to what I'm presenting to you. There's going to there people are going to scream that what I'm saying is absurd. That's okay. I'm presenting to you what the Holy Spirit, I believe, has shown me. I'm faithful to that. It's not up to me to do anything. I don't have any control. That is the work of the Holy Spirit. He confirms. He will establish if He decides to. If I am off, and I am saying to you that you better prepare for hard times, if I am off and the hard times don't come, you're going to be better off for it. Because you have transitioned in your thinking to a much healthier into a into a much healthier thought process. But if I am correct, then if you are transitioning, if you are praying, if you are looking to the Lord, if you're asking for the wisdom that you need, He's going to give it to you, you will be ready. You will be ready. I know that that uh, People that join the uh, military, they don't exercise, they don't do anything. They just say, well, once I get into boot camp, I'll get in shape. Well, it's hell. But those that are already physically active, that are somewhat physically in shape, they go into the military, boot camp, they don't have such a hard time. It's not such a stress to the body. Because they're in shape. They're already, you know, uh, able to run long distances. They're already maybe have lost weight. They're better off. We spiritually, same principle, no different. We have to anticipate what's coming. Anticipate. Um, I know that with, for the last, I don't know, I don't know five ten years, Christmas presents. Uh, I'm not into so much Christmas presents as I am as I am into gifts that are, you know, that you can use over and over and over. Something very practical. Uh, I can't. I, I can't think of any any practical gifts really right now. But the Lord is is presenting himself to the world again. This child that was born in the that was conceived on this day, he is presenting himself to the world. And we have to, as believers, we have to believe that. And we have to look individually. Lord, how are you presenting yourself to me? What is it you are speaking to me? What is important, Lord, that you have to say to me? I want to have an ear to hear. I need your Holy Spirit. Uh, I have decisions I have to make in the future. Each one of us, the decisions we make are, are different. My, the decisions I'm making for myself, that's one thing. The decisions I have to make for my wife and I as, as a couple, that's a different thing. Different, uh, set of decisions to be made then as a family then with the with the work that I do as far as my ministry the decisions today I was, I had replays and I felt well I'm going to I need to come in and uh, decisions change things change I I uh, I see in the, in the body of Christ in America I see the the vision of the the, the bulk the bulk of the pastors of the land more now more uh, more presently are beginning to think maybe along my thought line than before But still, there are so many pastors that don't know where we are in time. They don't understand what Matthew said about time of birth pains and sorrows. They don't have that concept. It's going to be a hard time. The changes in the world that will take place before the first day of the tribulation period. The changes that will take place. The tribulation, when that day occurs... The hardships are going to just go into a different, different realm. It will be tribulation. Birth pains, trials. That's one thing. That's where we are right now. With the pandemic, with the vaccinations, with all of this, that is, this has been hardship. The changes in the economies of the world. This has been hardship. The wars that we have begun to slide, slip into. Uh, this is not tribulation. This is just birth pains. The tribulation is going to be much different. I think that in the tribulation, I have a feeling that the, that we in this country, one of the things that will be a greater hardship. The hardship of the tribulation will be we will go into a digital currency. That will be a tribulation. Everything can be documented. Now, is that the mark of the beast? No. The mark of the beast system does not actually exist and begin as the mark of the beast system until Antichrist, in the middle of the tribulation, begins the forced worship of himself. That is the Great Tribulation. It will be at that time where you can't buy and you can't sell if you don't take the mark. But up to that time, you will be able to conduct your finances, financial businesses through a digital system, through credit card, through chip, whatever it may be on a card but great tribulation begins when the when the Western world is forced to either take that mark or you can't buy and you can't sell we will use that we Christians will use that digital system but once we go into the last half of the seven years of tribulation no at that point we cannot take the name the number the mark we can't take do any of that we're not there yet this is why I continue to say that we have the Holy Spirit and all of God's children the Holy Spirit you have to have his spirit upon you you have to have the anointing of the Holy Spirit to help you individually to make the decisions that you have to make personally, as families, the decisions. <clears throat> Each one of us, we have the Holy Spirit. I can't make decisions for my wife. There are things that that are happening with us in our in our world and she asks me about certain decisions she wants to make with this or that. I can't tell her. Because I feel like the Lord said, No, this is something that I am working with her on. I, I, will, I will direct her. And then with myself, with the decisions I make, I see things, I have a revelation as to what the Lord is telling me to do. She may make decisions or or recommendations, but at the end of the day, I have to decide, well, what direction is the Lord taking me? And the same with her. I, I try to not interfere with her walk with the Lord. Now, there are some things where, as a couple, no, no. We make joint decisions, absolutely. But even in marriage, my wife belongs to Christ. She is his servant. He gets to speak to her directly and gets to instruct her. She is his servant. He is working with her and she has gifts. She has gifts and abilities that God, uh, she's being used by the Holy Spirit in certain ways. The same with my children. You, the same. Individually. Parents, one of the most important things for you to do is to prepare your children for the world. Like with my daughter years ago, I told her, I said, Honey, you need to put something upstairs because beauty only lasts for a while. You have to up here in your in your mind that is what you need to take care of and with all of our children we have to we should as parents counsel them but on the other hand they as as god works with them they have to experience him they have to learn the lessons that he is teaching them and we as parents we there comes a point where we we have to let them begin to make their decisions as they pray, as the Lord directs them, as the Lord counsels them, we have to be careful not to interfere with the work of the Holy Spirit with them. I had this friend that uh, many of you remember his program a year ago. He passed away just that a year ago, roughly. Ron Perry. Well, his father, his grandfather, was a minister in the South. And the grandfather and the father, Ron's father and grandfather, they work together. You know, uh, Nate Perry is just a young boy, but he's working with his dad. Well, one day came where the Holy Spirit had Nate separate himself from his father and his father's ministry, which was a family ministry, in a sense. And Nate had to separate from his dad's work and then Nate began his own ministry and Ron was just a young boy and he would drive his dad all over the country in ministry and Ron was you know with his dad working with his dad but Nate as a uh, he was a, he was a definitely pentecostal very very wonderful righteous man And eventually, one day, Ron is in a meeting, and the pastor that's giving the message said, There's somebody in here that's been resisting God. You've been fighting God. God has been calling you, but you've been resisting Him. But God is calling you. Well, Ron knew that that individual was that's who that individual was. He was that individual. Well, afterwards he went up and talked to that pastor and he said, yeah, well, that incident right there, Ron no longer, he told his dad, dad, he said, I have my own ministry. So, and Ron went off into his own ministry. His dad continued his ministry. The grandfather eventually uh, died, but Nate continued his ministry. And then Ron began his own ministry. Parents, if you're godly, you will help your children experience the Lord and help your children set sail on their own so they can get out into the, the sea of life and learn how to maneuver to uh, stay away from dangerous zones of reefs and and uh, the wrong currents, shallow Shallow, you know, sandbars hidden, just feet underneath the, the ocean surface. We have to help our children. Especially now, it's more important than ever. There's going to be millions and millions of these young people <clears throat> that are in these assemblies <clears throat> that are not deep. Uh, the, the pastors are, are not deep. And if they're not deep, they can't take their congregations to deep water. They can't. Deep calleth unto deep. The people, the men in ministry that have the deep experiences of Christ, these are the men that are invo- are valuable. These are the individuals, the, the women that have the deep experiences of Christ. These people are valuable. And these are the individuals that the present-day New Apostolic Reform Movement, they're putting these people out to pasture. They're putting these people uh, aside to bring in young, inexperienced Christians that have no reality and depth in Christ. Not all of them, just many. This right there is the strategy of the devil to put the old, deep, valuable individuals that have the deep knowledge of the ways of God, the disciplines of the Holy Spirit, the disciplines of the Christian life, put them out to, put them out to pasture. Uh-uh. No such thing in the Bible. John the Apostle in the first epistles. Children, young men, fathers. You don't break them apart, young men or children, young men, fathers. Three separate groups. No. They're the same family, the same group tied in together. Children, young men, fathers. It's not children, young men. You take over, you give direction to the body of Christ. No. It's not in the scripture. It's not biblical. For this type of thought you put the old people out to pasture. I know pastors that exactly they these men had experience with the Lord. And a young pastor would say, well, we just want you to kind of be an overseer. Well, overseeing is good, but the young pastor was saying, we just really want to kind of keep you out. You, we don't want you on the pulpit. We don't want you to give your deep insight. We don't care for your testimonies. And he was put out to pasture. 83 years. I think he died when he was 82. And all he wanted to do was encourage God's children, preach the gospel. The reason, the strategies of the devil. One strategy like I I am redundant on this, I I am not going to apologize for it. One of the strategies is to keep you in a form of religion that has no power. Is to keep you from seeing what the scripture says as as Christ is introducing himself into the world today. He's not introducing himself as a child. He's introducing himself as the one who is coming to punish, to chastise the members in the body of Christ who are distant. He wants to bring them back. He has to chastise those that, are, that err in their theology, in their eschatology, in their uh, understanding of the prophecies, the, the eschatology, theology, and the doctrine. He's coming to, with the children of Israel. The Bible says the children of, the Israel, of Israel are apostate. They're just as apostate as the children, many of those members in the body of Christ. The great apostasy has, is over the body of Christ in America like the winter cold just came in to Colorado this week. We are in the evangelical churches. We are apostate. The apostasy is here. It's not coming. There's no desire for the deep doctrines of Christ. There's no desire to know God as Father in theology. There's no I, with a matter of prophecy, everybody talks about prophecy, but people don't want to really look at the truth in the prophetic word as it, is, as it is affecting our society presently. They don't want to see it. No one wants to talk about America in the Bible. The United States of America is Babylon the great of the end of the world. This is who America is. And the Christian, the Christians don't want to believe it. They want to believe that we are that desert place where God is going to take the Christians to protect them from Antichrist. Well, no. This, this society, this is the seat of Antichrist power. This is what I mean. The Christian people don't want to know the truth. They don't want to believe the truth. The the men who are the heads of assemblies in this country don't want to present this to God's people. If I'm right, the consequences or the the gravity of what I'm presenting to you and what I have been presenting on this station, the gravity of it is mind-numbing, I suppose, we're in the heart. We're in the seat. We're in the country from where Antichrist is coming. It's a, it's the president, the coming president of America, that's going to sign an agreement with the nation of Israel. I know this is everybody wants to talk about, you know, Christ being born. There's no such thing as allegiance to to uh, anything when war right now in ukraine they're trying to celebrate celebrate christmas to some degree but more than that they are fighting to stay alive those in the battle whether they be russian whether they be ukrainians whatever whoever no we in the body of christ we must live in reality We must live in reality. We have to. We're at the end of the world. We're an army. We are the army of Almighty God. We are the only hope that this world, this satanic, evil, occult, wicked world, we're the only hope. We're the only people that can give mankind hope, mainly for eternity through people receiving the Lord Jesus, giving them hope for eternity, and then offering through the goodness and kindness and mercy and the sovereign hand of God, giving them a way to exist in the world, physically, alive, still. We are unique. We are the only We are God's hand in the world. Christ still sits on His throne, but His Holy Spirit is still upon our mind. But we become His hands. We become His arms, His eyes, His mouth. We hear for Him. We are the ones that can accomplish what needs to be accomplished. We are His His mighty, mighty, fearful army. We are the fearful army of Almighty God. But many Christians have forgotten that. They don't see themselves as mighty. They don't see themselves as as effective. Satan is powerful. The delusion is powerful. The deception. I say, we are still, we are the most feared army in the world today. The the Russian army, the Chinese army, the uh, forces, uh, military forces of Antichrist and of the West. Sure, they should be feared. But who is it that the occult world, who uh, does the devil and the fallen angels and the demons and the children of the devil, who do they fear more than anything? They don't fear bullets, nuclear weapons, laser weapons. They don't fear that. The attack of Satan on the world today is directed at the... Residue of faithful Christians, the great army of Almighty God. Not many. You don't need many to win battles. The. I always talk about the. Uh, the the in. Romans chapter sixteen. The gates of hell will not prevail against the builded church, the ecclesia. Ecclesia is not the whole family. I, I go through this all the time, and it frustrates me. The ecclesia is not the whole family of God. The ecclesia are the overcomers. Revelation two and three. To each of the churches, he says, "To he over he who overcomes, will I give etc." The ecclesia. Is just a small group of faithful individuals, but it's the ecclesia. It is this group, Yahweh Sabaoth, the Lord of hosts. He is as the, the, the head of the armies, the, the spiritual army in the world. He is the one, as the commander, who is giving instruction to these servants who are the true army of Almighty God. He, by His Spirit, is instructing them. He is giving them a direction. He is protecting them. He is watching over them. He's the one. uh, The hand of God is with them. All that God is doing... In the world. Yes, he's working in every area of the world, but I'm telling you right now, biblically speaking, the whole work of God, the most important work of God, the most important work of Yahweh Savioth, the Lord of hosts, is with this faithful army, spiritual army in the world. This is who Satan is opposing. This is why the whole army of God, the main, the the focus, the plan, eventually, of God Himself, was to bring into this world His Messiah. And on this day, conception took place. Now, what is set in motion, Satan knows all about it. This child is going to be born This child is going to be worshipped. One of the first things that happened at his birth is the royalty from the East that was the religious world that had the religious understanding of all peoples in the world. This royal group came to bring their gifts. Then, 30 years later, God Himself speaks from heaven this is my, my beloved Son, in whom I am well pleased. Then on the day of resurrection, then the Holy Spirit, Christ returns and breathes into, this, into the disciples His Holy Spirit. This was the beginning of the most fearful army ever in the history of man. A spiritual army. An army that would be able and would be equipped to fight spiritual battles all through the next 1900 plus years, and especially at the end of the world. It would be this army, this spiritual army, empowered by the Holy Spirit within, forgiven of all their sins, uh, those that would consecrate themselves to God, those that would be baptized in water to have their sins washed away, those that would be baptized with the Holy Spirit to have the spirit of the power of Almighty God upon them to go into the world to fight the spiritual battles that can only be fought in the spirit. Not with bullets, not with bombs, not with bars, not with chains. Only with the power of the Holy Spirit. You're going to see, and Satan knows it, and Satan hates it, and the children of the devil hate it. They cannot stop what God has ordained to happen. They can't stop it. They tremble. They fear. Many people, there are going to be some in that occult world that the Holy Spirit is going to visit them and He's going to convict them and they're going to break the chains of their allegiance to Satan and serve Christ. And the prophets... In the satanic community, they know it. The people in the occult, their power is limited. They don't have power like the true Christian people that have the Holy Spirit upon them have. Their witchcraft will fail their the power of their rituals where they praise and worship Lucifer, that power is going to be is going to fail. They cannot save themselves. They will not continue to be able to keep the satanic the the direction of their witchcraft and their authority and power and what they're trying to accomplish in that in this world. It will fail. Christ presented Himself. He's presenting Himself again today. But He presented Himself in chapter 1 of Revelation. He is presenting Himself in His majesty, His ancientness forever. He's been there forever. And in His power. He is presenting to His church. You have no need to fear anything because I am the one that is walking in the midst of the churches. I am the one that is going to make sure that my churches, all seven of them, exist to the end of the world. I am the one. I'm going to go through my churches. I'm going to root out. I'm going to expose and break the power of the witchcraft in my churches. I'm going to reveal each of your weaknesses and I'm going to give you the opportunity through the power of who I am to overcome it. To overcome idolatry. To overcome the spells that are being put over my children in these churches. I'm going to go over overcome the world and the power of the world. I'm going to overcome the power of the religion in my churches I am outside the camp but my children want to worship systems systematically they want to to obey the laws that will be put in place in these churches but I will overcome and at the end of the world Christ is saying now I will have my I am mustering I am marking my holy army. And the gates of hell will not prevail against my holy army. And I am giving them all of my power and my authority. I am giving them insight through my spirit. I will be with them. I will empower them. Everything they need, I will be to them. And even in their martyrdom, I will be there with them. I will be right there. And they will not fail, even to the death. They will overcome by the word of their testimony, by the blood of the Lamb. And they will they will uh, deny their soul life, even to the death. And the world is going to tremble and fear. This is why Satan must unleash all of his demonic, angelic principalities and powers, all the forces of hell. And even Satan says, because they're not doing a good job, even I am going to come down to fight the battle. We have the power of the Holy Spirit. But the, but Paul said that they, these men in America, in the Laodicean churches, we are Laodicea. The evangelical churches, we are Laodicea. People fight. Pastors that don't understand what these churches are. They fight the thought that the uh, evangelical churches in America are Laodicea. They fight it. They fight what they don't know. They don't understand it. They don't see it. We are a unique church, the evangelical churches. We are a a very, very unique assembly of believers. We have authority and power that the Catholics, the Lutherans, the Greeks, all of the other churches don't have. We're dynamic because one thing that we emphasize, through the Pentecostal churches, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, to be empowered with the Holy Spirit objectively, to cast demons out, to heal people who are sick, to perform miracles. You know, if the Christian, if we Christian people, yes, we must also be people who believe what the Scripture says and the doctrines of the Scripture. We do not go to heaven when we die. That is a concept of evangelical Christianity and all the other churches. No, we must be doctrinally correct. The more doctrinally doctrinally correct you are, the more insight you have into God's plan, the eternal plan of God. We are a big part of that eternal plan. Christ in us, the hope of glory. We have the power of the Holy Spirit. I just lost my thought there. I'm just thinking of this, that The church, the the Lutheran Church the uh, Laodicean Church is just like the Corinthian churches. We have everything. We are physically well. We are uh, financially well off. We are educated, too educated, overly educated, to the point where our philosophies interfere with the truth in the Bible. We don't have need of anything. We're increased with goods. But we are blind. Truly blind. That's why we're so apostate. Wretched. We are wretched. We are so dysfunctional. We are wretched. No different than the children of the world. Miserable. I can't tell you the Christians in the evangelical churches how miserable they are. We're naked. We are naked to the world. We're exposed. Just think of this one thing, one thought. These mega churches. Joel Olstein, the pressure, the heat, the stress came. And Joel Olstein, what happened? It flushed him right down the sewer. I know there are so many that have liked Joel Olstein. From the very beginning, looking at this, this individual, no weight. No weight at all. No depth. If he's even a believer, his father was a pastor. So, because his father was a pastor, he's supposed to be a pastor. <clears throat> that's not the scripture. True pastors, you need to be truly ordained by God to be To be pastors, you can have individuals come in to run a business, doesn't mean they're a pastor, miserable, wretched, naked, and poor. It says we're poor, it means spiritually poor, spiritually no depth, no touch with the reality of God. God is not going to... You know, there is this verse that many pray that if we will humble ourselves and pray, God will restore our land. They don't know the doctrine. They don't understand the doctrine. That verse is not for the evangelical, Christian, or any of the seven churches of God. Doctrinally speaking... That verse is only for Israel. We can borrow it. That's all we can do. We can borrow it. But no. That verse is Israel specific. It's for Israel. Not for the churches of God. We cannot pray that God heal this land. Those that pray that don't see the prophecies of the scriptures concerning America. This nation is going to be judged. It's going to be judged. It's going to be destroyed. God is going to do it on one hand, but Antichrist is going to be the tool. Revelation chapter 17. We cannot save this land. The Christians have to break that lying spirit off of their mind. It's a lie. You can't believe a lie. You must know what these verses mean who they're for some verses are just for israel other verses are just for the church other verses of judgment are just for the world god is coming there are three corporate peoples like i mentioned in the first hour well in the first at the beginning of the program 1 corinthians 10:32 Give no offense to the Jew, the Gentile, or the Church of God. Eventually the Church of God is going to be gone. But you have three corporate people. This is how God views it from above. You have the seed of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. You have the Gentile nations. And you have the Church of God, which is combination of Jew or Hebrew and Gentile. These scriptures at the end of the world prophecy there are prophecies of God's punishment for Israel as a people. Isaiah chapter 28 their punishment when they sign an agreement with the Antichrist. There are prophecies that talk about God's punishment of the Gentiles not including Israel, separately. This is how precise God is in His Scriptures. Some prophecies are just for the non-believers, the nations. But then you have the judgments of God on the family. What does the Scripture say? Judgment begins at the house of God. We believers are going to be chastised first. We are going to be punished first. The hardships are coming to the Christian family first. who's going to escape the punishment? The overcomers They're going to have punishment or they're going to have hardship at the hands of Antichrist at the hands of the children of the world the demons and the fallen angels but their hardships will not come from the hand of god because they're faithful to god they will suffer like christ said if you follow me you will be hated if you follow me you will be you will be persecuted if you follow me they will gather you so those who are faithful to god will not have the punishing hand of God on them because they've already been sitting at Christ's feet and allowing the Holy Spirit to expose what they are and they deal with whatever it is that needs to be dealt with. But a punishment to the evangelical churches of America, the Catholic churches, the Lutheran churches, all of the other churches, there is a punishment coming to those in those assemblies that are playing games that are not fervent to God. there has to be a, a punishment coming to the house of God first, otherwise God would not be righteous. Even the children of the world know that. Even the children that don't know God well how is God going to punish us when look at look at the dysfunctional Christian people look how dysfunctional they are. And let's face it, I'm dysfunctional. We're all dysfunctional. But the one who heals us from that dysfunctionalism is the Holy Spirit. But to be healed from that what you don't see, you have to give yourself to the Lord. You have to let Him be sovereign. We make decisions to do certain things, but then the Holy Spirit, He makes decisions for us which we probably wouldn't make for ourselves. I was talking about visiting with uh, my wife, and it just seemed like the Lord would put me in a situation where I would just begin to prosper. I would just begin to be financially, just finally, we're going to break into some financial prosperity. And something will happen. I bulge a disc in my back. I have a great business. <clears throat> I, I maintain furniture for, for attorneys. Very powerful, wealthy attorneys in Boulder. I work for CU in the engineering department, fixing, uh, keeping things beautiful. I uh, work for, i just doing great, great things. I'm just at the point where my accounts are just incredible. I'm busy, I make good money, and I tweak my back on the 7th of uh, January, 2004. I'm sorry, 2007. I'm sorry, 1997. And because I can't work, I have to just close shop. God is sovereign. But through that, he took me a completely different direction which became very profitably in the deep things of God. Very profitable in the deep things of God. We can we can work for whatever in our world or we can actually let God be sovereign and then what He does is He um, takes a all things work together for good to those that love God to those that are called according to the purpose he used it for good he took me in a completely different direction and spiritually speaking I needed that direction and through that direction that he takes me eventually prophecies that he had spoken to me in the past began to develop and come into being and eventually, I, like I had mentioned, I end up in Las, Las Vegas, Nevada. I knew I wouldn't be there for long. I knew I'd be there for a while, but eventually I'd be back to Colorado. <clears throat> Here I am. And it has worked out perfectly for the good. So everything is worked out exactly the way it should. Now, the Holy Spirit has counseled me. You need to warn my children. You need to warn them. They live in the land of Antichrist. You need to warn them. They need to begin to come to me. Let me counsel them. Let me direct them. They need to pray and ask me for help. I have to be involved in their lives I want to be involved. I want to give them direction. I want to help them. I want to give them vision. I want to reveal to them my plan for them. But they have to make the decision. They have to give me the right. If they don't give me the right, they have free will. If they don't allow me to work with them, then I will just let their calamity come upon them. To those who are prophetic people, you're part of a move of God in the whole, uh, the move of the Holy Spirit in northern Colorado, like I stated last week. That is a move of righteousness, a move of holiness, a move to return to the scripture, to ask God to show you true doctrine, true theology, true eschatology, the, the truth about the end of the world. It's not about big meetings and singing and praising. No, you can praise more powerfully sometimes alone than you can in a big meeting. I have more powerful times of prayer and praise just by myself because I'm unhindered. There's nobody around. I can, I can scream. I can yell. I can thank God. I can just say, Thank you, Lord. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And every time I say thank you, I see something else I need to thank Him for. And I thank Him for that. And with that thank you, I see something else. And with that thank you, something else. This is the, this is the deep prayer and the praise that God wants His people. This is the praise that He wants, He needs, He's worthy of. We don't praise, praise a God that is distant. We praise Him because He's right there with us. He's right inside of us. This is the deep experiences that God wants His people in northern Colorado to have. Deep, deep, deep with God. And then, when you're in right standing with God, then you're going to have needs and you need to pray for your needs. You need to pray for your help. Somebody that's sick. You're sick. You don't feel good. Start to lay hands on yourself. Lord, I rebuke whatever this is. I rebuke the sickness. I rebuke corona. I rebuke a sore throat. Began to pray for yourselves. David did. I think he had a, a, what was it, a, a sexual disease of some kind. And he just began to pray, pray, pray. And I understood it. The Holy Spirit healed him. We must learn to pray for ourselves, pray for others. Now, we're getting ready to finish today's program. This is Christmas Day. I, want, I ask the Holy Spirit in all sincerity, in all honesty, to bless you. To bless you with the greatest blessing that He could bless you with. That is His Holy Spirit. There is no greater blessing I could pray for you than you be blessed with the Holy Spirit of God on your mind To direct you, to keep you, to protect you. There's no greater blessing that I could ask than that you have the power of the Holy Spirit, the direction of the Holy Spirit. That's all I can ask. That's the greatest, the the most, the greatest request. And that the, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with you. That his grace will be with you. That the strength that you need psychologically in your mind, your emotion, your will will be upon you so that you can stand in this time that's coming. That's what I desire. So. I think I'm going to go ahead and end with a little bit of music. And uh, may God bless you. May God keep you in this coming week. I will talk to you next week. And uh, I guess for now, God bless you. And God keep you. God bless
0: you.